As the children find their places, I invite you to continue in our sharing of the word together. Are we going to leave the hand on the stage? We can. That would be a good reminder for us. It's fine right there. We're going to continue in our sharing of God's word. It started with our children's message, and now we turn to our scripture. You can get it, Daphne. That's great. Thank you for bringing that. If you have your Bible with you today, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You can also follow along on the screen, or you can close your eyes and you can listen as I share the scripture this morning. Hear now the word of God from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of great love with which God loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the word of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For those of you who don't know me yet, I'm Amy Wilson Feltz. I am the pastor here. I am married to Jason, who is sitting there making a statement with his Green Bay jersey this morning. And, <laughs> and proudly, proudly. Oh, don't get him started, Stuart. Don't get him started on that statement. We have three kids. The youngest is Olivia. You'll get to know all of them. Maybe you saw them just a moment ago when they came to church. Olivia Kay is 20 months old. She just turned 20 months a couple of weeks ago, and she is the light of our life. Of course, we're all doting on her. You may have met her last week when she came into the service. She was wearing a shirt that said future president on it, and she was shaking hands and offering fist bumps, obviously campaigning for 2056. So we will <laughs> accept your votes right now. It's really fun to watch her grow. It's really fun to watch her develop, and it's all happening so fast. And so you know, many of you know, toddlerhood is a challenge, but it's also really cool to see that development and that curiosity. And she has never been shy about letting us know what she wants. She figured that out pretty quickly. One of her first words was this, T-H-I-S, this, as in this, this, I want this. I need this. A couple of weeks ago, she put two words in front of that to make a complete sentence. As she points, what is this? What is this? 
it needs to be mine. It needs to be in my hand. Right? So it's really fun to watch this. And I've been thinking about it lately. No one ever tells a toddler to stop pointing. Somewhere along the way, as we grow up, we're told pointing is rude. People can feel like they're the object of scrutiny if we're pointing at them. In some cultures, it's a great insult. But in toddlerhood, it is welcome because there's something different going on there. Well, the truth is, our lives point to what we value, whether we recognize it or not. The choices that we make every day, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the relationships that we develop, the words that we use, all of it. All of it reveals the posture that we have in the world. Our patterns of behavior are pointing to the thing that we find important. Our text for the day talks about this kind of concept in a before and after sort of way, before God and after God. So as we read just a few moments ago, the writer of this letter to the church in Ephesus in Asia Minor begins with a pretty bleak picture of human existence, talking about the anger and the death that we can experience in our destructive patterns of behavior. That's what we're talking about when we read the phrases, passions of the flesh, or desires of flesh and senses. We're not just talking about our physical bodies here. We're talking about selfishness, a kind of selfishness that makes what we want and even what we think we need the driving force in our lives. It's so easy for any of us to walk through the world in this way because we are only human after all. But that's a key word in verse 4. It's the turning point. It leads us to the after. But God does something that gives us another option. God gives us another way to live, has made us alive in new ways. So in this part of the letter, we are given a vocabulary list of sorts, words like mercy and love and grace and faith. And of course, these are churchy words. We probably have some understanding of what they mean, but do we really comprehend what they mean in terms of our community of faith? So even if we had some pretty good definitions, it's helpful for us to develop a shared language about these things, especially as you and I are getting to know each other better. So we're going to take a few minutes to do that this morning as we are beginning this sermon series called Envisioning Morning Star. These words here are presented as a description of what it means to be truly alive, and not just alive, but alive again, resurrected from the old ways of living, of what life was like before we walked with God. So they're worth our time. So we're going to begin with verse 4, and this is where we find the word mercy. We are told that God is rich in mercy, and again, we can describe mercy in different ways, but I'm going to offer a classic definition this morning the way I understand it. Mercy is not receiving something presumably bad or painful that we absolutely deserve. So what we're talking about here is a reprieve, a reprieve from punishment, a reprieve from terrible natural consequences. Mercy is not receiving something that we absolutely deserve. So that brings us to love. God loves us with a great love, we are told. This is unconditional love, love that is more than a feeling, 
To love in this way is to work for the good of another person, to have another person's best interest at heart. So to love is to seek the good of another. It is precisely out of such love and mercy that God chooses to save us by grace. So this is the next word, and it can be a tricky concept. It's often misunderstood. It reminds me of a conversation I had Oh, a few years ago now with a person who was very angry with me. Obviously, I had done something unintentional to harm this person. I did not mean to hurt this person. Let me be clear about that. But in the moment, I could tell that this person was very upset. And so I sought to listen, to hear the words that were being expressed, the feelings that were being shared, and, and to invite this person into grace with me. Can you offer me some grace so we can work this out together? Well, apparently I had said that word one too many times because my plea for grace did not go over very well. And the response was, I knew you were going to say that. You're always talking about grace, but that's just an excuse not to take responsibility for your mistakes. Ouch, right? Ouch. I really had to think about that statement from the inside out later when I could take a deep breath and really be honest with myself about it. And I'll be honest with you, I was not very gracious in that moment and that conversation. That was hard to hear, and I was confused by that. But later, I could see a little bit, at least, from where this person was coming from because she was hurt. And it's really hard to offer grace from a place of woundedness. But I also realized that I obviously hadn't been talking about grace or extending grace in a way that really showed this person what grace is. So I want to make sure that we are talking about grace in the same way. So I have another slide here. Yeah. Grace is receiving something wonderful that we don't deserve, meaning we didn't earn it. We can't earn it. It's an unmerited gift. Grace is receiving something good that we do not Deserve. So you can see how grace and mercy work hand in hand. Mercy is not receiving something painful that we probably do deserve. And grace is receiving something wonderful that we absolutely cannot earn. But lest we think either of these beautiful concepts is designed to let ourselves or other people off the hook, we have to think about the source, the source of God's mercy, the source of God's Grace, and that's love, God's great love for us. In other words, God loves us so much that God constantly and unconditionally seeks our best interests to the point that we can be saved from ourselves, from our own patterns of destructive behavior, saved by grace through faith. That's what the writer says in verses 8 and 9, and perhaps one of the most famous lines, at least for Methodists and Lutherans in the room. So I'm going to read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. It is by grace that we are saved through faith because of God's rich mercy, and great love. Beloved, these are really profound and potentially life-changing words, and we tend to gloss over them sometimes 
because we've heard them so many times and because we're not really paying attention anymore. And it's easy to shift the emphasis to our faith. And our faith is important, but it has a hard job. We put really high expectations on our faith to the point that if something goes wrong, something doesn't go the way we want it to go, we could lose our faith fairly easily in some cases. But faith is not merely hoping for the best. It's much more than that. In fact, true faith is having confidence in God. Exercising faith, beloved, is having confidence in God's mercy and in God's love and in God's grace. In in fact, faith is the access point to grace. Faith is the access point to grace. Now, grace is available to everyone. Please make no mistake about that. It's even available to us before we are aware of it. This is one of the ways that John Wesley, one of the founders of our United Methodist tradition, it's called Methodist before that, talked about grace. He used a word that is strange to us. It's called prevenient. It is not a word that gets used outside of Methodist circles. Spell check doesn't even recognize it as a word, and I'm pretty sure it's not even in the dictionary. So what it means is that grace surrounds us. Grace surrounds us. Grace paves our way. And it's one of the three ways that Wesley talked about grace. The other two ways are justification and sanctification. Again, big churchy words. But the way we use these words can give us the impression that we are talking about three kinds of grace, and that's just not the case. There's one grace, God's amazing grace. And we use these words to talk about the ways that we experience that grace throughout our lives and in the world. So we're going to take a closer look at this together. I know some of you already know this. It's new to others. I want to make sure that we are all on the same page here because this understanding of grace is central to our Methodist understanding of the way that God works in the world and through us. So as I said above, God's grace is constantly available to us before we are aware of it and before we are willing to accept it. This is what we call Prevenient grace because it exists previous to our knowledge of it. In other words, grace surrounds us. God's grace also brings us wholeness. It makes us right with God. It justifies us. It saves us. We often mark our understanding or our experience of justification with baptism in our tradition. This is when we recognize and accept that we are part of God's family, that we have a place to belong because of what God does in us through God's grace. We are justified. We are part of God's family because God's grace heals us. And the grace of God also accompanies us on the journey of life for the rest of our lives, literally enabling us to grow to be more like Jesus in our actions every day. We do believe that's possible in our tradition, and that's what we call sanctifying grace. It sanctifies us or helps us mature. It helps us grow. This is really good news. God's grace surrounds us. It heals us, and it helps us grow. Another way to talk about this is to say that God has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. Our confidence in God's ability to do so, our faith, opens our eyes to the fact that God is already doing that right now out of love and mercy. Now, I can 
think of no greater message than the world needs to hear right now than that. Can you? I'm glad you agree. Because this is our mission. This is our mission at Morningstar, to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. To point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus the Christ. And it's part of my personal mission as well to encourage you to internalize this mission. And I've asked the staff members to do the same. You will hear these words often so that you can say them as well from memory and from the heart. I was thrilled when I learned that this was the mission that leaders of Morningstar had adopted in recent years. Because remember, our lives point to what it is that we value. And a commitment to pointing to God's grace necessarily will shape our choices, our actions, the way we use our time, the way we spend our money, the relationships that we choose to develop, all of it, the way we speak to others. It all becomes a way for us to reveal God's presence and work in our lives and in the world. Now, this kind of point is pointing, this kind of pointing is perfectly acceptable, right? Like the pointing of a toddler, because it doesn't come from a place of judgment. It comes from a place of curiosity and wonder and celebration. To point to the grace of God with our very lives is something that we can celebrate because it brings life. It brings life to the people around us as well. Grace is something worth pointing to, beloved, because grace is the point. It's at that point of grace that God really invites us to live the way that God intends, and we can invite others to do that as well. And there are many ways that we could go about that good work, the good work that God has prepared as a way of life beforehand. That's what we read in this letter to the Ephesians. But a vision can serve as our guide. And we have a vision in this church. You can find it on the back of your morning star morning prayer card. Our mission and our vision are on the back of this card. If you don't have one, please pick one up today. You can also find it online as well. The vision reads, Morning Star seeks to be a community stirred by the grace of God to be active in inspirational worship, to practice radical inclusion, and to alleviate suffering. These are the three primary ways that we as a group of people are committed to following Jesus and pointing to the grace of God through inspirational worship, through radical inclusion, and through the alleviation of suffering. So what this means is that everything we do here, everything we do here must align with that vision and mission. Otherwise, what is the point? Everything we do, from our Sunday morning worship services, to our Bible studies in our small group, to our service at the Lighthouse Food Pantry, and those are just a few examples. But everything we do must align with this mission and this vision. And I don't want to gloss over what a gift this is to us and to Las Cruces and to the world for a group of people to be united in a shared mission and a common vision is no small thing. This way of viewing and living in the world becomes a means of grace for us to point to the grace of God, even as we continue to experience it. And such a posture and a pattern of behavior enables us to receive and give grace 
in an authentic sort of way, recognizing that we are all in need of healing in one way or another. And that's what salvation is. It's healing. That's what the word means. It means healing, wholeness. And it only comes by God's grace. Salvation only comes by God's grace. And in this truth, we can place our unwavering faith, our confidence in God. But we could use a reminder now and then, and that's what this card is all about. So I do encourage you to take one and put it in a place where you will see it regularly every day. For me, that is tucked right into the cabinet door above my French press so that when I am making that delicious coffee that I love so much, I will think about you. I do. I think about you, and I pray this prayer, and I trust that God is doing these things in our community, and I invite you to join me in that practice if you have not yet done so. This way we pray as a community, each day renewing our commitment to point to God's grace. And over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about this by looking at the words of Jesus in the three areas of our vision together. So it's my hope and my prayer that as we repeat these words, as we repeat these words, And as we hear the words of Jesus, we can make some connections that will open our eyes to specific ways that God is calling us to point to God's grace right where we live and breathe. Amen? Amen. So with that hope in mind, I invite you to join me in our prayer together. Gracious and loving God, Wherever we find ourselves this morning, we hold fast to your presence. Literally, we fold our hands in prayer, holding tight to your faithfulness as we offer our hearts to be stirred once again by your grace. Inspire our worship not only on Sunday mornings, but with every breath that we take. Give us the courage to be warm and welcoming not just with our words, but in our spirits, including everyone we meet with an invitation to a seat at your table. Grant us strength to acknowledge the suffering that we see in this world and move toward it, holding space for sorrow, leaving room for comfort, and committing to work for justice and equity. Remind us once more that we are Morning Star, created to be your light in the world. Help us slow down and shine brightly as we point others to Jesus. Amen.